Hey, everybody, it's Matt Townsend. And if you're coming to Education Week, why not drop by the Wilkinson Center? You'll get to see me do my thing trying to help people with the challenges they face in life. I'll be there live starting Tuesday, August 14th at 3 p.m. Mountain Time. See you there. Hey, everybody. Have you been to the library lately? If you haven't, you got to go and notice that it's practically a video store. Now, we all hate seeing that reading is becoming a dying, dying art, don't we? Or is it really dying? We'll be talking about that next on the Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. I'm Devin Dewey for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. The FBI now says it was not a police bullet that killed the Sikh temple shooter in Wisconsin. The special agent in charge of the Milwaukee office says the second police officer on the scene neutralized the gunman by shooting him in the stomach, but the attacker actually killed himself. Subsequent to that um, wound, it appears that Page um, died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. The FBI's Teresa Carlson also says after conducting more than 100 interviews, investigators continue to believe the shooter acted alone. We have not identified anyone else other than Wade Michael Page as being responsible for these shootings. And police still don't know the exact motive for the attack. I'm John Belmont. Because of the shooting, President Obama called India's Prime Minister to talk about tolerance and peace. The phone call to Prime Minister Manmohan Singh came as Air Force One flew the president to a campaign stop in Denver. And three days after Wade Michael Page opened fire before Sikh services, killing six people before he was brought down by a police bullet and then shot himself. Spokesman Jake Carney says the president expressed condolences to Singh, who is also Sikh, and both leaders spoke about the importance of tolerance and religious freedom. Since the shooting, authorities have portrayed Page as a white supremacist, but have yet to offer a specific motive. Mark Smith at the White House. While some fear the worst drought in 25 years will send grocery prices soaring, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack is more optimistic. The agriculture chief says the cost of farmers is not the same as the cost of grocery shoppers. Farmers get 14 cents of every food dollar. Uh, so even if commodity prices were to double, uh, you would probably only see a, a half a percent to as mu- maybe as much as a percent increase in food costs. And Vilsack says crop yields may not come up as short as some have suggested. He says the effects won't be known until harvest, but farmers have planted larger than usual crops this year to offset the impacts of the drought. And the Obama administration has authorized $30 million to help crop and livestock producers in drought-stricken areas. David Melendi, Washington. And for Olympic women's soccer, the United States will face Japan tomorrow for the gold medal. The United States and Japan are two teams with a history, most notably in last year's Women's World Cup when the Japanese stunned the U.S. on penalty kicks. They snatched our dream last year. U.S. midfielder Megan Rapino scored two goals in the semifinal win over Canada. The two teams have played three times this year. Each has won once. There's been one tie. And that's what's going to be so awesome is they're going to watch some beautiful soccer happen. You're going to see some amazing goals scored, and hopefully people will become legends. Abby Wambach says it's exciting to think of playing in front of a sold-out Wembley Stadium for a gold medal, no less. Warren Levinson, London. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Devin Dewey. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Matt Townsend, your life coach, your relationship coach as well. 
doing what we can on the show every day of the week to help you and your loved ones grow healthy, happy lives, giving you the tools you need to uh, to make the most of life, to take advantage of it, to grow your relationships. And really, we want to bring you more peace, and that's the goal of the show. Welcome, everybody, to today's show. Today, I think we're, we're going to have a fun one for you. Uh, it's a topic I, I've got to tell you, um, it's a hard one for me. We're, we're going to be talking about uh, your children and the importance of reading with your children and literacy, okay? Now, I, just so you know, in fact, I was just telling my crew today that I'm not great at this. Um, and, in fact, I'm so bad that last night at midnight, my seven-year-old was tucking me in bed, which was pretty <laughs> pathetic. Uh, it's just that... It's summer, and it's hard to get them to do anything, and we're competing with all of their little devices and their technology and all of these things that seem to come so much easier to these kids than maybe sitting down and reading a book. And with six children, I found the first three, we were just all over it. We read everything every night. We'd read Harry Potter and all the books and tons of fun and tons of bonding, and we loved it, and it was just so profound. And then we get caught up. And so I'm basically wanting to do this show so that I get back in the game. So I'm not doing this to make any of you parents feel guilty like you're not going to grow your children healthy and happy. I want you to just get some tools. Grandparents, if you're out there listening, you can also pick up and play a big part in this game as well. Because reading to our kids makes a huge difference. And sadly, we're just not doing it enough. In fact, just so you know, one time um, well, I sat down with one of my clients. So I'm a relationship coach and teach skills and tools. And a couple came in, and I have them fill out some pre-work before I, I work with them. I just can read a bunch of information about them. And it helps me to do some assessments. Well, as I was working with this couple, the wife could not fill out her paperwork. It just kept taking time. It literally took them 30, 40 minutes to fill out their paperwork. I finally went in and said, are we okay here? Why isn't she filling out her own paperwork? And it's because she couldn't read. She didn't know how to read. And she's in a relationship that's struggling, and she had to go through her husband to be able to communicate to her relationship coach what she was struggling with. And he was censoring it and editing it. The only thing she needed was the power that reading would have given her. And so the very first thing we did is we set up some lessons for her to go learn to read. And it changed the marriage. It changed the entire dynamic. It changed the power of the relationship. She was no longer beholden to him. She now could fill out her own application. She actually went and got a job. She even made got a job making more money than he did. It changed the entire game. She, she started to feel better about herself. There's power in reading, and there's power in um, being able to be healthy and feel confident about it. And we're not when we're not reading to our children, we're setting them up for failure. 10 to 15% of children eventually drop out of high school if they can't read. So these children that have reading problems, they're going to have a harder time graduating and getting grades, and it's going to impact their self-esteem. So that's what we're talking about today on the show And we're going to be bringing on an expert who is seriously one of the most incredible people ever, honestly. He's a speaker. His name is Brad Wilcox. He's an author. He's a professor at Brigham Young University in education. He knows how to teach you how to do this. He is also passionate about child literacy and even um, has written a, a variety of books for children 
So we're going to bring him on and have him kind of excite us and teach us how to reach our children. Before we do that, we all know, though, that getting our kids to read is important. You've heard that a million times, and it's hard. But just how much of an effect does our input as parents and grandparents have? Here's Corinne Collins reporting on how adults can positively affect child literacy. We all know that it can be hard to get kids to read. And unless they are little bookworms like I was, it can be almost impossible to get them to read their homework, never mind anything else. But since literacy is so important, and the relationship children have with books and reading can continue into adulthood, professionals have developed various strategies for parents and grandparents to get their children's heads into books. An article published in Utah's Daily Herald on August 6, 2012, outlines a seven-strategy list for teaching kids to love to read. These suggestions include reading together, making it part of a fun game, offering books as treats to create positive associations, but not limiting children's reading to books alone, encouraging them to write, and interacting with the stories themselves. Most of these strategies encourage parental and adult involvement in the reading process, and there is statistical information to indicate that this has a big effect on childhood and adult literacy and school success rates. According to the National Education Association, 26% of children who were read to three to four times in the last week recognize all letters of the alphabet, as opposed to 14% of children who were read to less frequently. And the Educational Testing Service reported that students who do more reading at home are not only better readers, but have higher math scores. As far as lifelong literacy is concerned, a National Adult Literacy Survey indicates that children who have not developed some basic literacy skills by the time they enter school are three to four times more likely to drop out in later years. And a National Center for Education Statistics survey from 2003 indicates that 14.5% of American adults lack basic prose literacy skills, which obviously affects adults in all walks of life and professions. So, while it might be a long shot to try and turn your child into a bookworm, studies show that a little goes a long way and that adults are the ones to help it along. Corinne Collins, our little bookworm. And uh, it's just fascinating. We went around the room today and talked to the producers for the show, and they all gave me their insight. And and it's amazing. And these are great students. These are great. I mean, they're professionals. A lot of them are English majors. And it's amazing how books impact and the confidence they have because they've read and their ability to communicate effectively. So that's our goal on the show today. We're going to try to give you some tools, some ideas, a a little hope. Not just try to make you feel guilty, but there's power in this. And I think one of the things we're going to find out that's most powerful is it takes some time. And when we have time with our children, it's good. It's powerful. And and we're going to be picking the brain of an expert, Dr. Brad Wilcox from Brigham Young University. He's going to give us some insight on it. And I want to really focus, too, on the relationship side of this. Uh, There's also something powerful, not only about reading about the world, but there's something powerful about being able to read about the world and learn about the world from your living room with your parents by your side. So that's what we're going to be trying to reach out on and touch on. Again, it's interesting. These libraries seem to be a dying breed. If you've gone into one lately, you may notice it's really more of a video store. There's just tons of DVDs in there now instead of books. And I'm even downloading books now um, on my electronic devices. I was out with my children, and my son has um, a Kindle and is carrying his Kindle around. And half the time I'm looking, are you playing games? But he's like, no, 
And he's got a ton of books and he loves to read. And there's nothing more fun and empowering than seeing, I don't know, a 15 and a 17-year-old boy want to read a book instead of just play a video game. So we're going to give you some tools for how to do that. Stick with us, folks. We're here teaching children literacy today and the importance of helping them catch the fire. We'll be back after this on The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143. BYU Radio. Intelligent building blocks that assemble themselves. Today, we'll look at MIT's Smart Pebbles. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory routinely explores ideas that are nothing more than science fiction concepts today. One of their latest endeavors is a different way of replicating objects using building blocks and sand. MIT is trying to create smart sand. Imagine if you could bury an object in a sandbox, then reach in and pull out a duplicate of that object made from the sand with no special machinery or tools required. How would smart sand work? Well, before you can have sand, you need smart pebbles, a simplified two-dimensional version of the system. That's what MIT's playing with right now. The pebbles are tiny, 10-millimeter cubes containing special magnets on four sides, which can vary their magnetism. Also inside each cube is some very tiny basic computer and communications ability. First, the cubes are made to surround an original object. Then a second batch of the cubes compare their arrangement to the first group and let the cubes that don't match the shape fall away. The rest use their magnets to stick together into the duplicated shape. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Parenting can be a tricky business, and we all know families don't come with a handbook. That's why we can learn from world-traveling family coaches, the Ayers. Join the Ayers on the road for family, parenting, and general life advice Monday through Thursday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern, on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. So help me if you can, I've got to get back to the house at the corner by one. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, There he is. Is that Kenny Loggins? Uh, Poo Corner. Is that what that is? I love that. Winnie the Pooh. Oh, that's memory time right there. See, there's memories in these books, and that's what we're talking about today is child literacy and how we help our children catch the fire. We're going to be bringing on an expert in a few minutes, but before we do... It's uncommon, if you've noticed, to see teenagers out there carrying around a book, right? They usually will carry their cell phone around. In the next piece, we will hear one teenage bookworm explain her love for reading. There was no dim light to greet me now. I was fairly sure I was in the last leg. The turns and twists were still vaguely familiar. I felt my left hand drop. That is the sound of my 13-year-old sister, Arinda. For Arinda, books are everything, better than TV, video games, or even her cell phone. It is not uncommon to see her with one book in her hand in the morning and a new book in the evening. No, she's not just reading two books at the same time. She has finished her morning book and started her evening book. It's kind of crazy to think my little sister can read faster and better than I can. 
So I was curious, why does she read? Because I like it. It offers an escape from, you know, the daily stupid routine of things. And it also offers, like, you know, you don't have to worry about what your problems in life are. You can just escape and, like, listen to somebody else be whiny for a while. But can't you do that with TV? Yeah, but TV's not as much fun because you don't get to know what they're thinking. And so you don't get the full, like, scope of what the characters are feeling. So how did you become such an avid reader? Um, probably my mom. She would read a lot, and then, you know, we would, like, read together, and then eventually I just started reading on my own for fun. It's true. My mom is a good example of loving to read. I mean, she should be. She's an English teaching major, after all. So growing up in her house meant incentives for reading. Like later bedtimes, or extra TV or video game time. You know, things that kids really want, and will put up with reading to do. But that doesn't always work. Take my 10-year-old brother Eli, for example. He hates reading. Even when I, his super cool sister, invited him to read with me before bed, it didn't really work. Sure, for the first few days it was awesome. I would read a page, then he would read a page. But before long, he would ask me to read two pages, and then he would just read one page. Next thing I knew, I was reading an entire chapter, as long as he promised to read the first and last pages. And we all know those are super short. So I guess I really wanted to see how the book ended because I let him get away with it. I think the difference between my two siblings is desire and then confidence. Especially for kids nowadays, reading isn't always the most popular option. Just ask Arinda. Do your friends think it's weird that you read a lot? Sometimes they do. Sometimes they think I'm crazy because I read so fast and that I actually like reading. So what do you tell them when they say that you're weird? Well, I tell them that, you know, like, it's easier to read than just sit there staring at a wall for a few hours. It's much more fun to read. So tips for inspiring your kids to read? I don't know. Arinda says to help them find a good book they don't want to put down. Read a little bit with them and then let them discover the whole new world by themselves. If that doesn't work, you could always plan a long road trip and accidentally forget the DVD player at home while serendipitously remembering a book. Oh, that gives you hope. Hope! The kids are reading out there, and it's interesting. We, maybe we just need to flat out get into the children in order to uh, know how to, to influence them, just like Catherine's mom did. We're going to bring on Brad R. Wilcox, Dr. Bradley R. Ray Wilcox is a professor of education at Brigham Young University, author of several books. He's a popular speaker. Like, seriously, nobody loves any speaker more on earth than the fans of Brad Wilcox. Uh, PhD, University of Wyoming. He likes to just engage children. And honestly, and we'll bring him back sometime for this. I've seen him in action on the hardest subject in the history of the world, teaching maturation. To my child. So, uh, Brad, welcome welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be with you. Good to have you. And literally, if you can teach young kids about maturity and what happens to our bodies, you've got to be able to teach us how to enjoy reading. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not as hard as we think. It's not at all. So, fill us in. So, here you are, an author. You've written to that level of a child, a, 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 probably a, up to a teen. I've seen you speak to teens. How do we ignite this fire? For reading, and do we? And by the way, do we need to? I mean, or is this just old school? No, I don't think it's old school at all. We see all around us that 
readers are leaders. Even right at Brigham Young University, when they bring in the top scholarship recipients, they have very little in common as far as what they want to pursue or their interests or even their backgrounds. They have very little in common, but one thing that unites them all is a love of reading. That's neat. And so readers are leaders. Readers are the ones who are moving forward. And I think we've got to realize that while electronics can help with the the reading – it's still an act of reading that's happening, whether it's on a whether it's on a computer screen or whether it's with a book. Uh, the the act of reading is essential in learning and in progress, whether it's our own personal happiness, or whether it is our family unity, mm-hmm. or whether it's instilling values in children, or whether it's our success in. The world academically and in our businesses and talk and about jobs. that. Talk about the process of it because what is it? Okay, so as an educator, what is it about reading that 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 is so changing in us? That is so altering. What does it do to us? Reading empowers. Reading is a powerful experience, and uh, reading, you know, not you don't have to take in the information at somebody else's pace. Reading allows you power over time itself because you can choose. If I'm watching a news broadcast on the TV, I have to sit through the commercials. I have to give – they give me the information at the pace they want to give it to me. And reading allows me to control time. I can actually – In my mind, I can fast forward through an entire newspaper to the one article that interests me. I can get through an entire website to the one thing that interests me. And and sometimes when we allow ourselves to just be at the mercy of a teacher lecturing, uh, 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 a news broadcaster broadcasting, we don't give ourselves that power. And when we can read, we literally have, have have power to be able to decide how quickly we want information. And we could spend 15 minutes pondering one phrase, or we could spend 15 minutes skimming an entire book. Yep, done. See, you know what's interesting? Yesterday we brought on our media critic, our our, uh, movie critic, and he said, you know, a lot of times the books just aren't as good as the videos or the the movies that are made, they're just not done as well. I mean, the the, the movies aren't as well done as the book. Oh, I was going to say, but that's it's because not my of exactly experience. what you're saying, isn't it? I say when I talk to kids, I say, "How many have ever seen a movie made from a book?" And they all raise their hands, and I say, "How many like the book better?" Yep. And that's when that's exactly they raise their hands because reading is a mentally active activity. Yeah. When you're viewing a movie. Or viewing a video game, that's a mentally passive thing. And there's a that's place right. for that. Man, when you've been busy all day, you want to come home, you want to veg. Yeah. You want to sit down and you don't want your mind to work. So you watch TV because when you're doing that, you don't have to imagine no. the setting. You're you not have investing to imagine in anything. the character. Yeah. No. no. They just show it to you. That's right. But when you're reading, 
All of that has to be imagined. And then children start realizing that what their brain can create way outdoes what somebody else's mind can come up with. Uh, There are no limits. See, when you do a movie, there's a limit. There's a budget. They can't do this. They can't do that. And there's an actor with a history and three other shows that he's done. But see, when their mind is doing it, there's no limits. There's Mm -hmm. no budgets. And so – Everything is possible, and that's why I say balance between those mentally passive activities of playing a Nintendo game or watching a TV show because, yeah, there's a place for that. But we also need to balance that with the mentally active activity and nothing, nothing is going to be more mentally active than reading, whether it's informational text or whether it's just a good story. Well, and what else is so powerful about it is it's at their level. They're going to assimilate it, you know, create it, visualize it at their level. They're not going even if the, even if a new word that they've never heard or a word that's not so great is injected into the the literature, they'll probably skim by it not knowing it, jump over it, not understand it, but they'll assimilate it at their level. You bet. See, reading the whole act of comprehension is not just what the author says That's to right. you, but it's what you're bringing to the author and what you say back to the author. And that's an incredible experience to have that kind of power, mm-hmm. to not just sit there and say, well, so what does the author say to me? And now I need to do a book report yeah, saying yeah. what the author said. No way. Mm-hmm. What do I have to say back to the author? And what is it that I'm bringing to this experience? Man, if the author's writing about snow, one kid is going to see that as an exciting topic because he loves to snowboard. And the next kid's going to be sad because his parents had an accident in the car in the snow. We bring something to this. And so when we're reading, we're not sitting there like empty vessels taking it all in. No, it's an interactive experience. And reading at its best is actually an act of writing, an act of composition. Because our minds are composing something and your mind might compose something completely different than mine. And I'll compose it my way. It's also like we're creating ties to it because – we're using our whole brain. It becomes ours. It's, that's why it's, I guess, empowering is that you're saying basically the power is in the reader, not the writer, not yeah. the author. As well as yeah. the author. Yeah. That's huge. And that's when I, I guess when we think about that, that's what our children are missing if they're not learning to read. See, that's the concern I have. Everybody always talks about illiteracy. And yes, that's a huge problem. But I worry about another problem, and that is a-literacy, having the ability to read but choosing not to. When I see these kids who will spend hours and hours and hours and hours with their little Nintendo games, that worries me because I say, all right, they're not choosing this. And Mark Twain is the one who said that the person who can read and doesn't is really no better off than the person who can't. Interesting. A-literacy may be a bigger problem than Even for adults. How many adults – like I've just finished a doctorate and all I've done is read academic. And the idea of me now reading fiction, it doesn't even compute in my brain except it's so tempting to start to just – Enjoy some fiction. Um, What you need is a good vacation. I totally do. (laughs) Because when when you're on a vacation, you don't want that mentally passive experience. You want to get into a good book. Oh, it's powerful. And it's – 
It's also something that uh, you're, that we model as parents because we kind of hand this down. This is a legacy we hand down, whether we're teaching literacy or not, or whether we're still actively reading or not. I have wonderful memories of my dad. I remember my dad reading scriptures to us in the morning. I still remember his voice. Now that he's passed away, that's a very powerful memory for me. I remember him reading Dr. Doolittle to Mm -hmm. me. I remember my mom grabbing my younger brother and me and putting us on her, uh, you know, by her side and reading books to us in the summertime, especially uh, Across Five Aprils by Irene Hunt and Up Mm. a Road Slowly by Irene Hunt. and I remember that. I remember just sitting there, and and that modeling is powerful. Yeah. Well, and it's – they're not only creating the stimulation in your brain, but they're also connecting it to relationships, to people, to memories. Like when we just heard the song on Pooh Corner or whatever that was from Kenny Loggins, that brought back a flood of memories. And, and I will get into this after this break, emotion. So these books have emotion. They have feelings, and it gives us a chance to talk about the emotion. To talk about the feelings. I've always said that the magic of reading to a child is not once upon a time. The magic is once upon a dad, once upon a mom. And as we read to that child, there's a bond that's created. Reading is relational. We relate to authors. We relate to characters, Mm -hmm. but we also relate to the others who are reading that book, the others who are reading it with us. The history, the other places in the world, the diversity. In fact, let's come back and talk about that. How and be thinking of this, Brad, how do we how do we energize that? How do we create the spark in ourselves, I guess, and in our families to start, you know, bringing literacy back into our lives we're talking with Dr. Uh, Brad Wilcox from Brigham Young University, professor of education, really passionate about learning, and we're, we're going to learn from the master right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Matt Townsend, and if you're going to BYU's Education Week, come by to see me do my show live from the Wilkinson Center. It's starting next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Mountain Time, and it's going to be amazing. Don't miss out. Good afternoon, I'm Devin Dewey for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Some top officials in Egypt are losing their jobs over a deadly attack in Sinai. Egypt's president fired his intelligence chief and the commander of North Sinai, responding to the Islamist attack that killed 16 Egyptian soldiers. President Mohamed Morsi also ordered his defense minister to replace the military police commander. This is even bigger than it sounds. The president is from the Muslim Brotherhood. The defense minister is none other than the head of the military council that took away much of Morsi's authority. This is just the latest blow in their power struggle. Mark Levy, Cairo. Some economists mailed letters to fake addresses around the world to test the efficiency of those governments. Rafael Laporta at Dartmouth College and three other economists mail letters to non-existent companies in 159 countries. And then they waited. Return to sender. After a year, more than half of the letters were returned. 
Only four countries sent all 10 letters back within 90 days, including the U.S. 16 countries returned no letters. The goal was to use a simple service to explore why developing countries tend to have poorly performing governments. Less than a third of the letters sent to low-income countries came back. I'm Ed Donahue. What's the most popular mobile operating system? AP correspondent Mark Hamrick has the answer. Although iPhone gets much of the buzz, phones running Google's Android operating system have been dominant. Research firm IDC says four Android phones were shipped for every iPhone in the latest quarter. Helping Google to extend its lead, the popularity of Samsung's phones, which use the Android OS. Falling further behind was the once popular BlackBerry phone made by Research in Motion. Apple did ship more iPhones during the quarter than a year ago, and it should get a boost when the next iPhone is released. That's expected this fall. I'm Mark Hamrick. And the United States women's basketball team plays for a shot at the gold medal game tomorrow. The powerful U.S. women meet Australia and six foot five Lauren Jackson in the semifinals. In the quarters against China, Jackson became the all-time leading scorer in women's Olympic basketball. American forward Candace Parker knows she'll get double teamed a lot against the Australians, but she's looking forward to it. It's fun for me to get doubled because you're passing to people that are going to knock down shots or people that are going to make plays. Everybody's got good post players by this stage of the tournament, Parker says. In the other semifinal, Russia plays a surprisingly strong team from France. Warren Levinson, London. The U.S. men's team is undefeated after five games and is currently playing Australia in the quarterfinals. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Devin Dewey. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Matt Townsend, and we are talking with Dr. Uh, Brad Wilcox from Brigham Young University. We are discussing the importance of literacy and not just illiteracy literacy, but what he brought up earlier was illiteracy. People that just could read but are no longer choosing to. How you recapture that spark? How do we bring it into our families? Welcome back, doctor. Appreciate you. Thank you. Uh, again, I, it's fun. It's fun to watch somebody, Brad, uh, that's an expert and has passion about something and watch them just talk about their passion. Because if people could see how important this is to you, uh, it would probably spark some excitement in them. How do we start to bring excitement back to this? How do you take a family out there? Let's just imagine some guy coming home from work tonight, listening to the show, and he hasn't read to his kids. There's a few books in the house. What should he do? Well, I think the first thing is to remember that just the same way as you ask, how do I get my kid to clean his room or how do I get my kid to clean the bathroom? You don't do it by assigning it. Yeah, yeah. You can't say, go read for 20 minutes. That's right. Get your reading done. You have to be able to say, come here, let's do it together. Because what a child can't or won't do alone, he will do with you. And so you've got to just set aside a little time and you've got to be willing to go and read to the child. Read with the kid. Now, at first, he might not be interested. There's a thing called reading stamina. And kids who haven't been read to a lot, they don't have much reading stamina. So you start small. Don't start with a big, huge novel. Start with a little uh, drama in real life article out of the Reader's Digest. You know, start with a little article out of a magazine that's high interest, something on sports, something about a new athlete that the kid's interested in. 
but read to or with the child. That's going to be a very good beginning place and build that stamina. What he's willing to do for a few minutes, the next time he'll do for a little bit more. And next time he'll do for a little bit more. Um, I know we're experiencing for the first time, my son and daughter-in-law just moved out of state. And so we're experiencing this whole Skype grandparenting. And the first time I did that, I sat down and I wrote, I read, brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? I I see see a yellow bird looking at me. You know, red bird, red bird. And I just chose a little book and I read it to my little granddaughter who's about two, no, just under two. And I think she turns two this month. And so she, but she sat there looking at the (laughs) screen, just fascinated. And I was just reading it to her. By Skype and showing the pictures and and she was hearing my voice and I thought maybe every time I Skype with her, I'll just read aloud to her because I used to do it when she was here in my house. How beautiful. I used to be able to just put her on my knee, but now I can at least do it over Skype. Uh, Some grandparents... Uh, or parents feel like, I can't read to my kid. I don't read that well or I'm not yeah. that interesting a reader. Get some of these books on tape. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That guy that does the Harry Potter books I know. on tape. Yeah. Whoa. He's like a one-man theater company. <laughs> exactly. And, man, turn that on. And, they, and still have the book out. You bet. You can have the book out and you can both be together or so in a powerful. car or in a house. But listening and pretty soon – that you can stretch that out for longer and longer periods. And I guess too, I mean, they're going to be excited if you're on, if you're reading what they want to read. I mean, this is about them. Yeah. So figure out what they want, right? I mean, when a librarian comes to me all upset because she says, "What do I do when the kids come in and say, "I need a book that's level M." <laughs> And she says, well, what are you interested in? I just need a level M. That's what my teacher says. I need a level M. And she's so frustrated because yeah. she's like, man, read something you're interested in. you like in. skateboarding? Yeah. Choose, <laughs> read about something that's going to yeah. ignite some of those passions and connect to totally. their life. Yeah. Don't sit back and start reading some classic right. that has all this hard language just because it's a classic. Totally. It's not going to make any connection to their and life. it'll turn you – I mean – how many people have been turned off by the classics because they did Shakespeare a little too early? Yeah. Are they, and they got stuck in this idea like boring. Yeah. Same thing with music. We get turned off by playing music because it's always classical. When I, turn, when I just let my son play anything on the radio that he wanted to play and we just got books. Then all ra- of a sudden. Boom. Yeah. Game time. See, my daughter was a reader and so we thought we were the best parents in the world. And then along came my son and he didn't want, have anything – he Not didn't so want much. anything to do with the books. And my wife finally thought, all right, I'll tell you what, we'll pay him. We'll pay him for the books he's reading. A penny but, a page. Yeah, but I thought, you know, yeah, you could play that game, but it's, it's short-term motivation. It is, totally. And it's not going to last. And we needed something more internal. So I started thinking, all right, we need to – he needs time. Yeah. So we're going to send him to bed a little earlier. He, he needs books. He needs covers. Why do I go into a bookstore and I cannot walk out without buying a book? Why? I go into a library and I walk out without a book. But I can't go into a bookstore without buying it. I give my Visa card heat rash. (laughs) All right, so why? Why is that? What is it? It sells. Covers. Yeah, they're selling it. See, the covers are right there. And you're touching it. Don't you love it? You got to touch it. And so I think, man, that's what we got to do with kids. Flood them. I mean, if I want a kid swimming, 
I'm not going to put an inch of cold water in the bottom of the pool (laughs) and say, have fun. I'm going to fill the pool with nice warm water, and he's going to be in that pool before you know it. Exactly. So go to the library. Don't check out one book and keep it up on the shelf so it doesn't get lost. Check out 25. That's right. And just let the kid paw through them. But what if he doesn't finish them? Who cares? Who cares? He's what reading. If, what exactly. If he doesn't read them, any of them. Yeah. Fine. He's he's got books to paw through. There's right. water in the pool. Love it. I used to check out tons of books, and then the librarian would say, "He'll never be able to read all these before they're due." And I said, "I'm just putting water in the pool." She says, "You better not put these books in the pool." <laughs> and I said, "I'm not putting the books in the pool." Listen to me, lady. But Russell, <laughs> Russell was so funny because we'd send him to bed, and he'd say, "I'm not tired." And this was when he's like second, third grade. Yeah. Not tired. I said, then read. I don't want to read. Well, then sleep. I don't want to sleep. Then read. See, <laughs> you if got the two choice choices, was that's right. computer or reading, that's right. oh, it's not reading right. lost. Right. If it was tease your sister or read, reading lost. That's if right. it was watch TV or read, reading that's lost. Right. But if it was sleep or read. I'll read. Then pretty soon, reading started winning. And then Bernstein Bears and Mrs. Piggle yeah, Wiggle oh, started that. working their magic. And then you get in there about 10 o'clock at night and he's still yeah. reading. Yeah. And you're like, we got to back that down. Yeah. But you got to have, you got to have yeah. books, covers of books showing. I love it. You got to turn that kid's bedroom into a stinking bookstore yeah. with tons and tons of books. And then time to do two, one of two things, read or sleep. Or sleep. You and can sleep anytime you want. And that's going right. to help a lot. I think that's I think that's brilliant. What do you think about these parents, Brad, that um that maybe are too worried about what's in the book or they don't want their child too much like the Harry Potter maybe phenomenon and we don't want to but people that think that's weird or that's dark. What what about us censoring or maybe over censoring? What how how does that fit? Well, I think it's a real concern. I mean, as parents, we are very careful about what's going to be going into our children's bodies when they eat. And we need to be careful about what media they're consuming. But I think we also have to remember that books are windows to the world. They're not mirrors. They're not meant to be mirrors that reflect our own values, our own culture, our own ideals, and our own philosophies. Books are windows through which I can see someone else's culture, someone else's life, someone else's experiences. In a safer way, really. Yes. Than having to go be enculturated. And, then go yeah. live through it all. Mm-hmm. And so as a parent, yes, there are some times when I might say, that book is a little over the top, and I don't want to see all that through that window. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as an adult, I make those choices. I say, you know... I I don't want that much graphic material. I I know what's there, yeah. but I don't want to see that much right. through the window. So yes, we have to be careful. But when a, a swear word appears in a book, or when a character does something negative, I always think that that can be turned into a learning experience. Yeah, and we can show children what someone else's life is like, what somebody else's family structure is like. Yeah. Instead of always looking for books and movies and music that reflects our own yeah, only, values. Yeah. So then we get really good at ours, I guess, but you don't get to see how your values can integrate into the world or vice versa or how to take the good from the world and how to deal with this this contrast. I mean – 
kids need to learn contrast. They need to learn that there's a difference. And maybe this is the one way to do it is let the reading, some of it in, you know, the healthy yeah. stuff in or healthier stuff. And then talk. I mean, to talk about diversity. There's so many books that could bring in so many great conversations about diversity, about acceptance. About- I remember the first time I read Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. I'll never forget it because it it allowed me to see yeah. whole issues that I had not grown up with. I didn't grow up in the South. I didn't grow up in an area where you had these competing cultures. I didn't grow up with that. And so the book just was a powerful experience for me yeah. because it allowed me to see that. Um, I think, you know, we can all think back at books that really opened our eyes to new ways of thinking and new ways of seeing things. And that's one of the beauty of books is that we can say, ah, there's another way to look at this. And that enriches our lives. I think that's amazing. And it's interesting, like even the scriptures, the Bible is a fairly diverse book (laughs) with a lot of stuff in it. And um, there's something about that, too, huh? Sharing something as powerful, like your scriptural beliefs or your spiritual beliefs, bringing those into these discussions. This is a chance to start unifying around some values, unifying around some principles, teaching the big lessons of life. And I don't think that a parent shouldn't shelter a child. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, of course we're going to shelter a child, and we're going to allow for a gradual release of responsibility. Yeah to that child to make wise choices. But he's not going to be able to make wise media choices if he hasn't had a little experience looking through windows and seeing what the world has to offer. Yeah. Well, and um, and that what does that mean down the road? So now you've got a child that's going to be in the world and still doesn't either accept the world or judges the rest of the world or doesn't know how to self-censor or censor for himself. Powerful. Um, What else? So if we're sitting there, what else do you want to tell a father or a mother who's trying to figure out how to excite a child about reading? Well, I think it's important for parents to remember that it's not all about warm and fuzzy. It's not all about... Uh, the, it's not all about bonding and yeah. and because some parents reject that they don't want that they they say I want to help my kid with his education and I don't see how reading a, a little storybook to the kid is going to help him with his you know I need my kid to to do better in school and that's when we've got to remember that reading to children reading by children. Those experiences are also valuable teaching moments, not just teaching about cultures, about diversity, about other people's points of view, but also teaching vocabulary, the flow of language. Yeah. I mean, it's just remarkable when you stop to think about how much we learn just from books. Children are exposed to more vocabulary in a book and more of the flow and function of language than they are in any other way, including media, including normal conversations. When I'm watching TV, I never hear the word sauntered (laughs) on the TV. If somebody saunters into a room, I just see him saunter. I don't hear the word. You don't hear the word and connect it to the spelling. vocabulary expanding is a conversation. Hi. 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 How are you? Fine. Not a lot of vocabulary. In 1945, the 
the average vocabulary of an American child was 25,000 words. Today, the average American child has a vocabulary of about 10,000 words. Oh. We have dropped 15,000 words out of our vocabulary since 45. Well, what's come on board since 45? TV. TV. And as kids have turned to TV for entertainment, for information, then they're not getting that vocabulary expansion. And as we read to kids, then they hear how words are put together. Have you ever heard somebody use a word kind of in the wrong moment? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you're like, uh, that's not exactly <laughs> how you'd use that word. And you may not even know the right way to use right. it. But you know that it was used incorrectly. Right. I've read that. That's not right. And and it's because you've read it. It's it's in this backlog mm. of this this bank of words that's in your mind. Yeah. 10,000 words, was it? 15,000 words that small, we've lost. Chunk. So think of what that means to your ability to relate, to communicate, yeah. to understand. I mean, you do so many shows on relationships. Yeah. Well, if you don't have the vocabulary to verbalize what you're truly feeling, how do you yeah. build and strengthen, yeah. re- strengthen relationships? You can't. And how do you explain that feeling that you're having without a word? You need yeah. a word and a context. And, and I'm not saying that parents should go out there and make it 10 vocabulary words out of the book. Yeah. No. Just but read. Just as we're reading, kids encounter so much vocabulary and they hear how that vocabulary is used. And pretty soon they start using it themselves. Yeah. And we gather a lot of our vocabulary not by looking up dictionary definitions, right. but we gather that vocabulary informally. But we've got to have some sort of structure in our minds to link that new vocabulary to. And reading provides both. Oh, it's huge. It provides a structure yeah. and it provides the new vocabulary. Yeah. And the excitement and, and just and the stimulus. all in a context. That's huge. That's meaningful and exciting because I'm reading about something I love. Yeah. Uh, Brad, wrap it up with your – what's your challenge? What would you challenge just the average Joe driving home? Who's either not reading himself as an adult or who has children that aren't reading, what would you challenge him to do? I think one challenge right now would be talk more about books. We always talk about movies. Oh, yeah. Just, you know? Yeah, oh, and how many of us have gone out and paid full price for a movie? We don't even wait till it comes to the discount fee. Yeah. Because we've just got to see it. Yeah. Why? Because Everyone's somebody said, oh, my it. gosh, oh, my gosh, you've got to see that movie. So when was the last time you heard somebody say, oh, my gosh, you've got to read that book? The Help. Yeah. It was The Help. Yeah. It was. And you, you read it. I did. See, and I think I would say let's turn some conversation toward books or toward articles yeah. on the Internet or toward any kind of reading experience. Talk it up. Yeah. And say, have you read that article on this? Did you read that commentary on that? Oh, my gosh. Have you read that? Because if, as we talk about it more, then all of a sudden we're going to be sparking that oh, interest. I love it. That can open the door for all the other things we've discussed today. See? I knew it. <laughs> I knew you'd do it, Bradley. <laughs> Dr. Brad R. Wilcox, Brigham Young University, professor of education, seriously inspirational and um, we're going to be having Brad on later in an, on another show down the road on the topic of the century. So be watching for him. We're going to have him help us teach our children about intimacy and sex. And so I think that will be critical. So be watching for that show. Dr. Wilcox, appreciate you. Thank you. Thank it's been you. great you've, being with you. You've reignited the fire again. 
Push it. Talk about it. Talk about books. We'll be back with a few more ideas and wrap up this subject right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Connect with Matt on BYU Radio's Facebook page and Twitter at BYU Radio. A new way to screen your genes may explain how to escape hereditary diseases. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. The Human Genome Project was completed in 2003, but not really. Scientists are still studying data from that project daily looking for connections and explanations for everything from how fingernails grow to how some people seem immune to heart disease. So far, many of these connections and relationships remain an unsolved puzzle, but looking at the puzzle pieces differently may reveal new answers. According to Dr. Stephen Quake at Stanford University, unwinding the chromosomes to study each half of a gene separately could prove key to understanding genetic diseases. You can think of genes as a form of data storage, and chromosomes contain backup files. If you have a mutation in just one chromosome, you might not inherit the disease caused by that mutation because your other chromosome has a working backup of the correct information. That's why Quake developed a sophisticated matchbox-sized rubber chip that can separate the 23 pairs of chromosomes in the human genome so they can be analyzed individually. Now, he's working on ways to automate the chip to make it less expensive and easier for more researchers to use. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. The Kennedy Center's Global Awareness Lecture invites international diplomats, scholars, and talented individuals to speak on issues affecting the global community. The big problem is not Russia and the United States. What worries me is some of these rogue countries with their crazy dictators. Increase your global awareness, enjoy the insights of extraordinary speakers, and keep up with the world around you by tuning in to Notes from the Kennedy Center, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're wrapping up our show today on uh, literacy and, and maybe more important, just catching the fire and uh, learning to love books again. Just head on Dr. Brad Wilcox. So appreciate him and his insight and, and just the idea of let's start talking about books more. There's, there's so much opportunity for growth and, and I think mainly for um, connection. I love the idea of a book club where one person – where they put out the idea to share a book. They all start reading it. They share the book. And then they go dialogue and connect and create this new sense of friendship and camaraderie all around a book. Now, when we think of trying to get our children to read, we've, as we've been talking about, we're normally talking about the novels, right? But what about other mediums? Ben Wagner reports on graphic mediums like comic books and their legitimacy as acceptable reading material. As a kid, I never had problems reading. Well, that's not true. I did have one problem, that being I missed a lot of sleep, as I often found myself reading through the night, only stopping when the sun started to crack through my windows. I was both a fast and enthusiastic reader and tore through anything I could get my hands on. When I went to college, someone told me I could spend four years studying literature, and it was like a light bulb went off in my head. 
The same cannot be said for my four siblings, of which I'm the oldest. None of them are particularly voracious readers. Now, they do read, they're not illiterate, but outside of the occasional Hunger Games or Harry Potter novel, books have never particularly interested them in the same way they captivated me. My youngest brother is 11 years old and refuses to read fiction. Now, he spends hours on Wikipedia and reading what he calls fact books, but fiction doesn't appeal to him. In fact, the only fiction that does seem to interest him is comic books. And you know what? That's okay. Now, I know when you hear me discuss the virtues of comic books, you expect me to preach to you on why J. Michael Stravinsky's run on Spider-Man is simply inferior to the thematic density of Frank Miller's superior interpretation of the Batman's antagonistic relationship with Superman. But no, I'd like to simply raise the question of why comic books can't be regarded as acceptable reading material. Sadly, comics have always been a derided medium. Congress even led a ridiculous witch hunt in the 1950s, which led to comics being erroneously blamed as a leading contributor to juvenile delinquency, creating the censorship body that was the comics code, and furthermore, formed the genesis for the bad reputation comic books still fight today. In fact, not only should comic books be considered acceptable reading material, it should probably be encouraged. The graphic medium was light years ahead in conveying important messages to kids. Green Arrow fought the war on drugs long before the DEA. Spider-Man has consistently dealt with class issues his entire career. And the X-Men were always meant to be an allegory for race relations in this country. And anyone who refuses to see comics as a serious storytelling medium has obviously never read Watchmen, which Time Magazine named one of the 100 best novels of the 20th century, or The Dark Knight Returns, a seminal comic packed with ruminations on more serious themes than most Virginia Woolf novels. In 2012, kids have a plethora of entertainment options. Movies, YouTube, iPods, Minecraft, all compete for attention with barely any room left for reading. If a visual medium like comics helps get kids interested in exercising the reading portion of their brain, then don't we have a moral imperative to try? And if comics can get adults interested, that's okay too. Last week, I pulled out my old boxes of comic books from when I went through my comics phase. I went through and pulled out about a 100 that I felt were appropriate for an 11-year-old and gave them to my little brother. The last week, video games and YouTube have taken a back seat as he has been enthralled by Peter Parker, Bruce Wayne, and Clark Kent. For the first time, he's reading. And don't tell me just because it's the funny books that it doesn't count. boy. But I have that was just profound, quite honestly. I did not know that um, he felt so strongly about that. And it's so true. We can reach our kids with anything. And maybe, as uh, Dr. Wilcox taught us, maybe we start where they are. Maybe we need to just let's just get them going. And if comic books will do it, let's get started there. Or Wikipedia, let's get started there. Let's then create some conversations and make it work. I had a really powerful experience with my son. We went on a bike ride. I was with two children, two of my children, and I parked the bike, and they uh, were going to go get us some water, and uh, I was guarding the bikes in a park, and they didn't come back for about a half hour, 40 minutes, and they came back with no water. And um, I'm like, where have you been? They're like, oh, there's just a really good bookstore over here, and we were just walking around the bookstore. What? A bookstore? You did it. Folks, that's a good sign when your kids love a good book. And it's also has incredible value. There's a great quote that says, you may have tangible wealth untold, caskets of jewels and coffers of gold. Richer than I, you can never be. 